Welcome to Not Just a Shooter 1.5, brought to you by Gordon Fall of New York Life Insurance. I am talking fast because we have a lot to cover and even more to come in a whole other episode after this one, which covers the Western Conference Finals, a finals preview, and the future of the Rockets. Hello and welcome to Not Just a Shooter 1.5. We have a lot to cover, so I'm not even going to bother with an intro. Welcome, Alex Cook. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Um, you know, I'm still hurt over Chris Chris Paul's hamstring, but I'm I'm sure I'll get over it at some point. Just I, like I think sure most I'll of us are. Over, I'll get over Donovan Mitchell within the next half decade. So hopefully, <laughs> Chris Paul's hamstring doesn't take that long. Yeah, uh, that was uh, that's an appropriate intro to this podcast. Before we dive into the uh, the rather sad end of the Houston Golden State uh, epic Western Conference Finals, uh, I should mention that we are still brought to you by Gordon Fall of New York Life Insurance. Uh, you can visit his website at gordonfall.com. That is G-O-R-D-O-N fall.com. Let's just dive right in. We left off last time at game after game four. Since then, the Rockets had a, a very pyrrhic victory in which uh, they, they do manage to come out on top in game five, but they uh, they lose Chris Paul to a hamstring injury, as I'm sure you all know at this point. He sits out game six and game seven. Um, and that's pretty much, I mean, you know, the Rockets were able to Almost overcome a historically awful three-point shooting performance in Game Seven, and we're actually the you know had a healthy lead through much of the first half, and uh, even weathered another Warriors nuclear bomb of a third quarter, and still had a chance. But uh, this did take on a uh, a feeling of inevitability uh, when Paul went down, and unfortunately, it played out that way. It was too bad, too, because Chris Paul, throughout his career, kind of been maligned for his lack of playoff success, even though it usually comes down to him dragging teams that are much worse than he is further than they should go. He finally has broken through to the conference finals. He had a great second half of Game 5, helped steal the win um, away from Golden State, You know, put them in a position to take the series, and then right at the end of the game, messes up his hamstring isn't even able to get back on defense. And at that point I was kind of assuming that he just would not play for the rest of the series. He didn't. And I think a big storyline for games is six and seven game six wound up being a blowout game seven, uh, wound up being a little closer. Houston, um, had early leads in both, but kind of how Houston tried to manage Paul's absence was interesting to me. And ultimately, there were no good answers. They wound up playing Ryan Anderson in Game 7. It did not go well. No, no. And they knew he would get sucked into guarding Curry on those switches, but they weren't able to make him pay for it on the other end. Yeah, he's got to hit hit a lot of threes to be effective in this series. And it it may be worth a gamble, but it also failed in a very predictable way. Yeah, and Luke Mbamute, his shoulder was messed up. He was a guy that I liked, you know, Back a couple months ago, we were he's a better option than Ryan Anderson if healthy. Yeah, we were assuming this series was going to happen, and and Bob Mute, um, switchy guy, can hit open threes. He wound up hurting his shoulder earlier. Um, was never at 100. percent Fell out of the rotation entirely. And Ryan Anderson was a big changeup in Game Seven, but to say that didn't work would be putting it mildly. And 
ultimately it came down to a historically poor three-point shooting performance. I wonder how much of it had to do with dead legs, but seven for 44 in that game seven for Houston against Golden State, if they shoot even marginally better, their worst, their worst shooting performance to the regular season was 23% from three. If they hit 23%, this game is tied or they're just barely ahead at the end yeah and it, and it changes the way this game plays out in a way that probably favors the Rockets too I mean I I kind of just chalk it up to a really unfortunately timed fluke and in, in combination also with the uh with potentially being pretty tired because most of those guys were logging 40 minutes in this game um yeah Ariza you know, so was broke Ariza he was very broke starting uh, dirty mostly yeah um Apparently, P.J. Tucker had, like, multiple root canals right before the game and didn't tell anybody, um, which is Jeez. pretty ludicrous. Um, and he was, <laughs> he was like, their best player for decent stretches of this game, when uh, at least when Harden was missing from the outside. Um, but, it, yeah, yeah, it's tough when you're leading on Gerald Green as your sixth man because he was taking some bad shots. Yeah. Yeah, I think nobody improved their reputation in this series better than P.J. Tucker did. He was... Draymond-esque on defense, helping off guys he could help off of, uh, contesting shots at the rim, just generally causing chaos and dominating the boards. He shot really well from three over the series, was cold in game seven like everybody else. Um, kind of going back to the tiredness factor, though, Kevin Durant mentioned after game seven, and I don't know if this is just um, after the fact, uh, you know, trash talk or whatever, but he said that they were trying to tire Harden out by dragging him into uh, – you know, actions on the defensive end and having him try to play one-on-one for the entire series. His shot was way off. Um, in the second and third quarters of that game seven, Harden had a couple of really bad missed calls go against him. And I think that sure kind of messed him up a little bit when they had a big lead. And uh, yeah, I was never able to get going. He wound up shooting, let's see, um, he wound up shooting 24% from three in that series against Golden State. Yeah, I mean, he he did have to take on an enormous load, especially after Chris Paul went down. Uh, but there were some there was some questionable shot selection at times, uh, and he did also get a particularly unfriendly whistle, especially given his style of play uh, in Game Seven. I don't, I'm not on the referee conspiracy end of things, especially since Clay Thompson uh, sits a huge chunk of the first half because he picks up three very quick fouls. Uh, so if it was a conspiracy, it was, it was poorly executed. Uh, but there, I, I just think some of these refs aren't very good sometimes. Uh, also basketball is tough to officiate. Um, but I don't know. It was, I don't know. There's nothing more NBA than referee conspiracies than like maybe off court drama. Um, we'll discuss the Brian <laughs> Colangelo thing soon, yes. but joking about games being rigged or one, you know, that. It's just part of being an NBA that, fan. That is an yeah, integral I mean, part of the NBA experience. It's all, all the way around. I do wonder, um, I think somebody texted me this during one of the games, was like, could you imagine how crazy NBA fans would be going if they had college officials calling these games? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ted <laughs> Valentine in an NBA Finals would be uh, a fiasco. So, yeah, it's a tough game. I do think the calls wound up mattering didn't matter as much as the stretch where they missed almost 33s in a row, which is unfathomable, really. And yeah, it's brutal to watch, I, too. Open shots. A lot of them were open. I mean, some of them weren't, but. No, I mean, yeah. but no, they were plenty of good looks. And I mean, 
you know, partway through it, you start hearing the home crowd just dying with every shot. I mean, it's, this was very audible pain <laughs> that I think everybody was going through. And then they yeah, cut, then they cut mean, the camera to Chris Paul and it'd just be like, oh man, this oof, is even I more brutal. He's going through. Um, yeah. Must've been excruciating to be in that crowd. I almost, I almost feel for, for everybody who was at that game, almost everybody. But I do but, think, uh, yeah, tough. yeah. I do think the big takeaway from this though is that, I mean, even as a super team, even at close to full health, they were missing Andre Iguodala, and I do feel slightly vindicated about my Warriors in seven unless Iggy misses three games prediction, despite the actual outcome of the series. Um, you know, they they have some flaws. They do seem to coast sometimes, uh, and sometimes they don't always recover from that. And also, Houston's a really, really good team. Houston's uh, really So we'll see. I mean, I, I think... The, the super team discussion that we even dug into last last podcast, I, you know, if we'd waited a couple of days, I don't think we would have had the discussion. Houston won 65 games. They were a team that was built to beat the Warriors. Um, they got close. They played better than the Warriors for a lot of the series, really. Um, Until Chris Ball went the, down. The second half of game six, uh, Golden State outscored them by almost 40. Um, Clay Thompson was on fire. So the third quarters for the Warriors, I mean, third quarter Warriors is the best team in NBA history. And there's yeah, no, that's an onslaught. Close. Every um, every game. game seven, like. Yeah, in game seven, the uh, Warriors wound up winning by nine, but they outscored Houston by 18 in that third quarter. A lot of that was cold shooting. A lot of that was Steph Curry doing Steph Curry things. Just audacious threes and you know when he's he's knocking down some of his crazier shots and Houston can't buy an open bucket on the other end it's kind of just even though the game was fairly close it just wasn't a sense that Houston could really come back oh no but uh especially with the way they were shooting good lord um but but yeah kind of going back to your it was, it was a real series about, yeah super teams and I I mean I think this series kind of proved that the Warriors aren't invincible with Durant um, you know, before the series, they had lost three playoff games during this series. They, you know, came within a unfathomably bad three point shooting percentage from Houston in game seven from getting knocked out. And there are, I think and, we, we've mentioned this a little bit before, but they're, they're a weirdly constructed team. They have a lot of bigs that they can't play in the playoffs. Too much centers. Yeah. Too many centers and not enough wing depth, especially with Iguodala out. That was really apparent. Yeah, not enough wing depth that can shoot because uh, yep. Sean Livingston is not somebody you're going to guard on the perimeter. Um, he's a guy that is a great bench player and really fits in with what they do. I think he's been a sure. Player. No, I'm not. A, I'm not knocking Livingston. Oh, I agree. But next to him, you need shooting. You don't need you know uh, the worst version of Nick Young. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know who Queen, else they were Queen trying. Cook. Quinn Cook, Quinn Cook, signed from the G League. I mean, they brought in Caspi. They waived him um, before the end of the season. He could have been that guy. Nick Young could have been that guy, but for some reason he wasn't. Um, so, yeah, they're not invincible. They have their problems. They kind of tend to, like you said, coast a little bit. They get careless with the ball when they're running all off the ball and everything. They can also veer into the opposite problem when Durant kind of commandeers the ball for himself. Yeah. But – when you have a team that has Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green, there's tough a pretty huge margin of error. Yeah, really, huge really margin. tough to beat that. So, I mean, but I, I think that 
I mean, unless you've got any other big takeaways from Rockets Warriors, which I, I think once Chris Paul went out, it's it's kind of tough to take away much, and also it's uh, sad to talk about. <laughs> uh, we we might want to move just right on into the finals preview because at least I mean, there's not much hope there either. But at least then we can get past all this. You know, I do kind of want to say that. I was really impressed by Houston. They did better than I thought they would. Um, I think they were one or two rotation pieces away, and I, I think they would have won if Chris Paul had played games of six and seven. I think they would have won had, you know, a very, you know, deep, like even mediocre shooting would have won game seven for them. Uh, so, you know, how they were built kind of from a very macro point of view, they had traded for – James Harden managed to recruit Chris Paul and do a sign and trade for him. Um, you know, they filled out the rotation with great players. They got Clint Capella at the very end of the first round. PJ Tucker. Brilliant pickup. Series. Guess how many offensive rebounds he had in this series? Seven games. I, I think he had eight just in game seven alone. Yeah. He had 17 over the entire series, shot almost 50% from three. Um, like I said earlier, played great defense. Eric Gordon. High volume player, kind of thrust into a role he wasn't um, best in replacing Chris Paul in game six and seven as a dominant ball handler. He ran really hot and cold, mostly cold in those games, but he played well. Trevor Ariza has been a great player for them for years, and you, you just can't help but think one or two other guys would have pushed them over the edge. And yeah, I mean, that it was that close, I guess, speaks to the general randomness that comes with these sorts of things. Like all of these huge narratives for all of these players' careers and just everything um, has been set in stone because the Warriors wound up advancing past the Rockets. We didn't have, you know, kind of one of those bigger upsets, but just a few plays here or there, and it could have been completely or, different. You know, I think it one was... hamstring. One, yeah, hamstring. one hamstring. No, the Warriors are tremendously lucky to be advancing. I I thought uh, Mike D'Antoni had a brilliant game plan for Game Seven. They, uh, I mean, when when you are playing a team that is clearly better than you, and you're shorthanded, uh, I think going high variance. I mean, it's Rockets ball anyway with with how they play. Uh, I didn't think they had much of a chance that they didn't get forty threes up in that game. And they ended and they up taking did. 44. Uh, the yep. problem was just that they only made seven of them, uh, which is so. historically bad. Uh, and that that sucked to watch. But I think, uh, you know, it's easy to say that, you know, don't take as many outside shots or whatever. The Michigan fans uh, listening to this podcast are very familiar with that refrain from certain beeline years. Um, but they went about this the right way. I think they they had the right approach. They got... I mean, great performance from Clint Capella, great performance from P.J. Tucker, um, and just an, an impressive two-point performance from Harden, given the whistle that he was getting. Um, yeah, he was getting hacked a lot. They were not calling anything in that game. But if they get anything out of Ariza, and, uh, you know, a little bit more out of, you know, Eric Gordon, who was also good inside the arc, but couldn't hit anything from beyond it. Um, if they get anything from Gerald Green, if they maybe don't, play Ryan Anderson for eight minutes and have him go minus 12. Although I don't know what other alternative they had, except handing more minutes to Gerald Green, which was also not working very well. Um, they did play Joe Johnson for a little bit. They did They did so sneak Joe, Iso oh, Joe onto the court. Um, I couldn't believe that. That was unbelievable that they got five minutes out of him. And he finished plus four. 
He was not a negative player in that game. ISO Joe should have just led them to victory. I mean, on the most ISO heavy team and to, you know, with shooting all those threes, that's, that's what they do. That's their identity. Their offense is designed. I mean, that was right around their season average, I think. So this, this was not even an anomaly for him in terms of attempts. And this was a game where if anything, they probably wanted to ratchet up the number of shots that they were taking from the perimeter because, I mean, depending on how they were going at some point, Harden just taking a step back is often their best offense. <laughs> they set a record for three-point attempt ratio. Um, they actually just shattered the record. And, yeah, you can't have them not take those shots. You can't have them try to play different, you know, with their back to the basket or whatever, um, you know, running off-ball sets. But, yeah. I mean, if you tell me heading into this game that Houston turns the ball over on 11% of their possessions and pulls down offensive rebounds on 35% of them, I would, I I, I guess they pull the upset. Like, that would be my my assumption. (laughs) They did have the shot volume differential, and they were definitely taking it to the Warriors until Curry kind of took the wind out of their sails in the third quarter. They were really active on the glass. I think they rebounded almost half their misses in the first half, and... Yeah, Tucker was great. Capella was great. Just yeah, I wasn't kidding. Tucker actually had eight offensive rebounds in this game. <laughs> wow, he with three root canals. Absurd. I mean, he was probably playing angry with all that pain. But hey, man, whatever it takes. That's <laughs> and, uh, and then to watch that was awesome. Then to watch your teammates miss thirty-seven threes. Yeah, and he actually went two for five, so he was a robust forty percent from downtown too. Uh, uh, but poor PJ Tucker. Yeah, that. Uh, that didn't go so well. He's he's the one I felt the most bad for, other than uh, Chris Paul. Um, I feel so terrible for Chris Paul. And uh, we will we will get into more of that because we do have a Rockets post boredom to do as well. Um, we should take a quick break and come back on the other side uh, with a look ahead at the NBA Finals. You're an MGO blog reader, so you've probably already met Gordon Fall. Yes, the guy who comes to all of our events. Yes, he is named after Gordy Howe. Yes, Wayne Gretzky knows this and says hi, Gordy, whenever they cross paths. Seriously. Gordon has stepped up to sponsor this podcast, so we should tell you what he does. Gordon is a licensed agent with New York Life Insurance. He specializes in holistic policies for individuals with long-term goals and short-term financial situations. He would like to expand that roster now in anticipation of opening his own shop next year and would rather work with fellow lifelong Michigan obsessives. If you're starting out in your career, growing your family, or beginning to think about retirement, you should talk to Gordon about crafting a plan for you. Visit gordonfall.com to start the conversation. That's G-O-R-D-O-N fall.com. Shame on you. 
All right, we have the NBA Finals that I think most people expected heading into this season. We did not arrive at it in any way that anybody thought we would. Um, but LeBron has dragged the Cavaliers uh, with maybe the worst supporting cast he's had, especially with uh, Kevin Love out uh, by the end of the Eastern Conference Finals uh, with concussion uh, to another Finals. Uh, he's been making them since I've been in high school. Uh, or, sorry, college, not high school. That'd be real long. Since I was um, in high school. Yeah, um, but it's it's been a very, very long time since LeBron did not reach this point, and now he gets to face a Golden State team that may be returning to full strength just in time to, to face Cleveland, which would be uh, bad news for a Cleveland team that's already spread exceptionally thin. Uh, I think we're all expecting Golden State to win this handily, and it's mostly about how many games, if any, that Cleveland can steal. I'm going to guess zero. Zero games. See, I am predicting the gentleman sweep because there is going to be a game in Cleveland where Golden State coasts through a first quarter, LeBron goes nuts, and they aren't able to bounce back from that. That's that's my guess as to how Cleveland's they... role players are just so bad. They're really awful, but they they got to have one game where they're not his, just terrible at shooting. Like, Kyle Korver could go off. Love could come back from his concussion and play well. Um, maybe you finally get something from one of the guys that they picked up at the deadline or, like, another decent uh, another decent game out of George Hill. We had, had a Jeff, Jeff, we had, we had a Jeff Green game, Jeff yeah. Green. When, when you're talking like, oh, well, we need Jeff Green to really put up some numbers. He's got to do it again. You're not in a good place. You're not in a good place. I'm very, very happy for that dude um, that he that he did have the Game 7 he had. But, uh, yeah, we're, oh, we're, we're seeing a Cleveland team that is, is facing some serious odds against them here. Uh, I mean, LeBron is the one guy in the lineup who's got an advantage in his matchup if Golden State's healthy. I, th- I would say that's uh, yeah, that's I, it. Yeah, I mean, he's the best player in that series, but Golden State has two through five at least, depending on the Iguodala plays. They have number six. Yeah. And he, just playing the who is Cleveland's second best player game, having that discussion, it's just so bleak. So their leading scorer is behind LeBron, who's scoring 34 points per game uh, and also has a 47% assist rate, which is just unfathomable. Obscene. Kevin Love with 14 points, Corver and Hill with about 10 each, Smith and Green with just under 10. And if your best player is Kyle Cor- or second best player is Kyle Corver, assuming Love is not 100% after the concussion that held him up. I uh, yeah, I don't even know. I don't, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know how much a concussion is going to affect Love going for I mean, if it's affecting you, you're sitting. Uh, so I, I, I assume when he's playing, he'll he'll be Kevin Love. The problem is that he is frequently exposed as terrible on defense, and he hasn't exactly been lighting it up on offense uh, so far this playoffs either. Uh, well, and Cleveland's defense in general is just terrible. Second worst in the NBA in the regular season. They were barely above a positive point differential in the playoffs. Um giving up like 1.8 1.08 points per possession in the playoffs 
And Golden State will make you pay more than anyone. I mean, just a surgical defense, great one-on-one, or surgical offense, great uh, uh, one-on-one scoring as well. And, yeah, I just don't know how they can get enough stops to really make these games close, especially once Golden State gets hot and goes on those runs and plays the type of basketball where it's like, okay, yeah, no, no team is even close to as good as this. Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes down, that's when it comes down to it, you you have a hard time against Golden State hiding any poor defender. I mean, we we saw it when Ryan Anderson checked in briefly and got absolutely roasted in Game Seven for Houston. Uh, and I don't know where you hide love. I mean, I I assume you go with the the rocket strategy and put him on Draymond and have him play way off of him and dare Draymond to shoot. But um, you've still then potentially got J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver chasing Golden State shooters off of, off of screens, and somebody's got to guard Durant. I mean, I, I assume that's going to yeah. be Braun, but then then who guards Clay and who guards Steph? I mean, it's it's a bad scene for them defensively. They do have Tristan Thompson, who did not play enough in the regular season. Um, or parts of this postseason. Or parts of the postseason, but really helps their defense, really active on the glass, can guard one through five. He was a big part of the finals win that they had. But, like, cannot hit a shot outside the paint. Yeah, and you have to play him and Love together. Like, who? yeah, you just, it's not really tenable defensively, now that they have Durant. And yeah, last season it was a gentleman sweep, but in the game that Houston, or in the game that uh, Cleveland won, they hit a record amount of threes for a team in the final game. I believe it was over 20, and they're worse this year. And Golden State might be slightly worse, and they don't have Iguodala or don't have him at 100. percent But do they really need him? It seems like overkill almost. Yeah, but do you do you really think LeBron's gonna allow his team to get swept? That's 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 really the main thing keeping it, me in I mean, with Cleveland in a gentleman's sweep situation is that LeBron is going to find a way in a game to just completely take over because we've seen some completely absurd stuff. I mean, that Boston team was good. Mm, I mean, they're not they the they're not the Warriors, time. but they're good. They lost to the Pacers in the first round. I just. We already saw the real finals, the de facto finals. Oh, no, no question. Golden State. I think Cleveland would have had a better shot against Houston. I, I, I just I think mean, we'd be crazy to count out LeBron James. because From winning one game. Crazy, because that's the debate, is whether Golden State wins in four or five. Like, there's no, like, oh, wow. I could Cleveland see Cleveland wins. winning, too. I really could. I mean, it, it'd take more LeBron heroics, but I I could see that. So, I I would, I'd, seven would shock me. But um, I could see them stretching this to a weirdly concerning six games for Golden State if they really just nap through a little bit of this and LeBron has a couple more historic games in him, which uh, he clearly has some. Uh, I'm sure he will. I think he could average a 40-point triple-double and still get swept. Entirely possible. I'm kind of rooting for LeBron James... uh, a finals MVP in a sweep loss scenario. In fact, I'm not kind of. I'm like full throat rooting for that. If we can get it, that'd be hilarious. Well, uh, since they gave one to Iguodala in 2015, which he absolutely should not have gotten, I'm I, not holding up too much hope for that. But that that was the ultimate where we should be giving this to LeBron James acknowledgement was that they gave it to the dude who defended him 
and couldn't yeah, even really stop him. You got absolutely abused, but your team won the series, so congratulations, here you go. <laughs> you took one for the team, here's your finals MVP. Uh, there there are a few LeBron greater testaments to LeBron James's ability than Andre Iguodala's finals MVP award. Um, and then you got payback in the next postseason by, you know, the classic quintessential block that's been replayed hundreds of times uh, at the end of Game 7. Bron tends to get his. In this series, he won't, though. No. In my, yeah, it's just he'll get a lot of points. He'll carry the team on his back and might win just, one game. This is Warriors Cavs round four. These teams are extremely familiar with one another. I think what they did with the Kyrie-less and Kevin Loveless team in 2015, where the second best player was, who knows, Matthew Delvadovo, whatever. Um, they still won two games in that series, but Golden State has gotten a lot better since then, have adjusted to the stuff that um, Cleveland does. And yeah, I just can't really see this being super competitive and I think the the betting lines, which I haven't even looked at, would probably agree with me on that. Yeah, I yeah I will not even bother looking them up because I'm going to assume that is correct. Um, do we have any like? Is there any interesting strategy? Is there any interesting angle here? Is there anything? Could it be like? I almost think it'd more be from the end of like Steve Kerr messing up to Ty Lue doing something uh, brilliant because I've watched Ty Lue coach basketball. Um, but Steve Kerr likes to play a lot of weird guys. He has thrown out some really strange lineups. So we could see a weird guy lineup kind of biting them or working out great. I think you know, Kavon Looney played better in the Houston series than I expected. Jordan Bell gave them some big minutes. We might see a David West renaissance in this one, considering <laughs> you can't make um, Golden State pay for putting a guy who's old and slow out there. Um, might even I see a little JaVale. Yeah, my most interesting subplot is what is Ty Lue going to do if Kyle Korver's matchup doesn't check into the game in the first game? <laughs> so uh, for people who didn't catch that, um, I believe it was in game six, Brad Stevens kept semi Ojale on the bench. Because and, he realized. <laughs> and after the, after the game, because Kyle Korver didn't play, he'd been having a great series, he barely played in that game, they asked Ty Lue why not, and he's like, well, he... He threw us off by not playing Ojale because we were going to have Corver check in when Ojale checks in. And it's like, that's just not how that works, dude. No, I mean, you can't just let the other, other coach entirely dictate your rotation. You're not going to play one of your best players? I, it, yeah. It's, it Man. was bad. It was really bad. Um, we will get into the that more because we've got an East Review podcast. We do we have do. that coming up. Um, so we should, uh, we should wrap this up and, and hit the Rockets post-mortem real quick before turning right around and recording another episode. Um, because shooters got to shoot and whatnot. And also Michigan had a pretty big day today. Um, and we would like to talk about it. Um, so we are going to, assuming, I I think we're done with this, right? You've, you've got a sweep and I've got a gentleman's sweep because I, I have a, a large amount of faith in LeBron James. Yeah, I do um, want to discuss the Houston postmortem, um, but as for the finals, yeah, I don't really have much to say. I I find it kind, I mean, kind of boring. I know that that sounds bad. 
we've, we've had we've had an exciting playoffs. We are not going to have an exciting finals, most likely. Um, we are going to hit the Rockets postmortem on the other side of one more break. All right, the Rockets, uh, may they rest in peace, uh, had a, a brutally, brutally tough ending to this season. But they are one of the most intriguing teams this offseason. They are a team that has been mentioned in the LeBron James sweepstakes. And in fact, one of the more prominent teams seems mentioned in LeBron James sweepstakes. Although it would take some uh, some cap maneuvering that's way off my pay grade uh, to, to probably make that happen. But they... They should be a team that competes next year. The question is if they can move her around uh, at least one really bad contract and uh, you know a couple others that maybe could hold them back a little bit. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I can't imagine that they wouldn't want LeBron James. I mean, it's just ridiculous to think about. But they did win 65 games. They can keep this team pretty much intact. They do um, need to resign just, Chris Paul. They do need to resign Chris Paul, who's an unrestricted free agent. Trevor Ariza... He's unrestricted. I kind of wonder if he would be willing to take a um, a little bit of a under market deal because he's been with Houston for a while. He's good friends with Chris Paul. They're really successful. He's getting a little older. He's getting um, pretty accustomed to winning rings. I'd like yeah, that back. and so so Chris Paul and Ariza are unrestricted, and gotta imagine they'll give Chris Paul a fat deal. Gotta imagine they'll do whatever it takes to bring Ariza's back. Clint Capella is a restricted free agent, so he's um, about to get I'm paid. Willing, I'm willing to guarantee that somebody's going to offer him the max. Um, you look at a team like Phoenix; it's like, why the hell not, right? Exactly. But Capella, um, you know, it, I don't know if they, if LeBron wants to go there. What? what I don't. Do I don't think Capella. you can keep him at that point. But uh... I've heard people speculate that LeBron might try to force a sign and trade, which would. Um, for be hilarious when <laughs> to take back some of that salary but if you look at it from cleveland's point of view it would be okay we're either going to lose him for nothing or get something back so the war chest for chris paul for the clippers is not bad actually i mean they got patrick beverly who was hurt for the entire year they got uh lou williams montrose arrow who was pretty decent but who knows i mean the big albatross the elephant in the room is ryan anderson's contract $40 million each of the next two seasons. And I, I can't forget who said this on Twitter, but somebody said something along the lines of Ryan Anderson went so fast from being like, Oh wow, that's the modern power forward. That's what we really want in today's NBA to having him be a complete liability and basically unplayable. Yeah. He's a, he's a relic now. He's a, he's a $20 million a year relic of a time not so long ago when you could play a slow-footed power forward if he hit threes. Uh, when, when a power forward could hit threes, there wasn't a time so long ago when that was a huge tactical advantage that people couldn't guard out that far. But now, you know, with teams playing five out and everything, having a power forward that can shoot is pretty much 
obligatory. Yeah, that's so, almost a given. And then you you need to be able to stay in front of people, especially with how the playoffs uh, have started playing out, where the matchups are going to get hunted. And uh, I mean, we we saw it in Game Seven. Uh, Ryan Anderson will get hunted. This is now the third segment in which we brought it up. Um, so I mean, Houston, fascinating in terms of. Uh, I mean, there's there's so much up in the air for him. The the thing that they're definitely locked into is James Harden, and that's going to keep them a certain level of good. Uh, that that dude. I would say earned his MVP this season. I know everybody says LeBron should win it every year, but that that man did take a month off this year, uh, and that defense and that defense was still. Oh, I can't blame him either. But it it does mean you kind of cede most valuable players sometimes to somebody who's playing hard for eighty two games. Yeah, Houston also has Eric Gordon and PJ Tucker, Tucker locked up on team friendly deals, and I think they both exceeded expectations in the playoffs. So that's kind of a nice thing to build around. Um, they're also in, you know, chasing ring that minimum range. So I'm sure they'll try to flesh out the rest of their roster with guys like that. But like I saw yeah, so Joe. Know, yeah, if, if LeBron wants to go there, crazy stuff will happen. If LeBron wants to go somewhere else, crazy stuff will happen somewhere else. And Houston will probably just stay the same. Chris Paul is a wild imagine. card here, too. I um, supposedly he's already been recruiting LeBron to Houston. I feel like he's pretty much a lock to stay. He's had the most success of any point of his career, his best chance of winning a ring. He did force the move there in the first place a year ago. It, it worked with Harden. You know, people thought it wouldn't work or that they were a weird fit, but it's like said it turned out NBA, to be a weirdly perfect fit. In the NBA, you just get as much talent as you can and hopefully you have a good enough coach to make it work. Yeah, and and, that and that's the same thing. They could just basically bring back this team, you know, build and around Hart and Paul Capella, and and yeah, they yeah, could they really could good. win. And I think you know it's quite possible that this year, coming this close to beating Golden State and and losing in the way they did, uh, they may very well believe that that's their best path, both for the present and for the long term future. Because you know, Paul if you do, if you do. Older. If you do pick yeah. up LeBron, you know, he is on the back half of his career, although who knows with LeBron how long that back half will be. Um, but Clint Capella is 24 and looks like he's yeah. going to be really dang good. Um, and they would have to sacrifice something pretty significant to get LeBron anyway. Uh, Man, it's just really too bad they're paying Ryan Anderson twenty million dollars a year. Oh, that really. And, but the thing is, is every other team in the NBA knows that. So in order to get rid of him, they're going to have to really. Oh yeah, that, there's pay, no way they're the they're shedding that contract so, in a way that's going to be yeah, reasonable. I, I'm not really sure how that's all supposed to go, but yeah, it should be interesting. Um, I'm not really sure what to expect from LeBron, but we'll have to see, I guess. Yeah. Um, speaking of LeBron, we are going to wrap this episode up and uh, in anticipation of diving back into a look back at the East, um, as well as some Brian Colangelo talk, because by God, do we ever have to talk about that situation? And also a little bit of Michigan basketball, um, which uh, I'm assuming Emigo Blog uh, readers and listeners will appreciate. Um, so that is all for episode 1.5. Episode 1.6 is coming extremely soon.
Thank you for listening to Not Just a Shooter 1.5. Keep a lookout for Not Just a Shooter 1.6. I am still talking fast because we still have a lot to cover. There is the East Finals, the whole ridiculous Brian Colangelo thing, and a bunch of East teams that have lost since the last time we recorded an episode. Thank you for listening, and listen to that one, too.